jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. Arts and culture. You are listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. This is Laura Craven. The following is episode 20 of Los Angeles, part two of my two-part interview with author, architectural historian, and Los Angeles Magazine senior editor, Chris Nichols. Perhaps we should move on to the Disneyland book, which is just an amazing tome. It's huge and very heavy. (laughs) And Toshin. uh, Toshin, I mean, how prestigious. Yeah, boy, they sure go all out, don't they? I mean, did they court you to do that? Well, I had done some projects with the uh, editor of that project, and uh, she called and asked me if I knew anybody that would be interested in something like this. And my hand shot up over the phone. I said, you know, me, 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 me. Mm -hmm. And because, of course, I'd been a fan of Disneyland forever. And, uh, of course, Tomorrowland fits right into my area of research with the Googie stuff. And um, I just love it so much. And, and, you know, like I said, I'm a collector. So I have a bunch of stuff, paper stuff that I collect um, from the park. And um, so, yeah, what an opportunity. That was absolutely incredible. And the best part was that I got to uh, meet all these people that knew Walt Disney. You know, wow. that were that were there at the beginning. The designers. The, yeah. Were they called Imagineers? Well, they didn't then? call them that back then. But, yeah, definitely. Um, and Bob Gurr, who designed all the ride vehicles in the park, is like a really good friend of mine now and a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, and, you know, I got to I got to uh, talk with Richard Sherman, who did all the music um, for like uh, It's a Small World and the Enchanted Tiki Room mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> a bunch of stuff. And um, Rolly Crump, who designed Enchanted Tiki Room. Uh, and he's this wild beatnik artist living down near San Diego now. He's about 90, and he's a wonderful kook, and I just I love his work so much. Um, I have a big painting of his in my, in my office that I look at every day. Um, nice. And he's so cool. And I actually did a book on him um, uh, for a small publisher. Uh, it's called The Great Crump Presents His Magic. And it's kind of okay. hard to find, but, yeah. it's, but he's... Um, God, it was so cool to get to work with these guys, you know, on this. Um, and uh, digging through the Disney archives was a dream come true. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, they would bring me out carts of stuff, like treasures. And um, it was How could wonderful. you even decide what was going to go in? Oh, I way, and... way, way over delivered on yeah. the pictures. We had so we had such a bounty. But I actually did. It actually was quite challenging because if you're tackling something that everybody knows, it's a lot harder than coming up with some a new angle on something obscure. You right. Know? Like, well, but you still are teaching people a lot about this subject that is so global. Well, you know, there was an inch of McAllister material out there and there were miles of Disneyland books out there. And so um, the trick with that was to try to figure out a, a, a new way to tell the story and a different angle on it and trying to bring some of what I, you know, have an interest into it and what I know a little bit about and, you know, Charlene was probably the one that said that it should be um, from a California history perspective, you know, and how it fits into um, California architecture, California history, um, and why it 
could not have happened anywhere else the way it happened here. Oh. You know, with the environment and with, um, you know, the weather and with the, uh, you know, creative people that were here and the filmmaking sort of side of it and the 3D, you know, like you're walking into a movie, um, the surrounding sort of uh, the, the, the three-dimensional storytelling of of Disneyland um, is something very influenced by them being a movie studio. Right. And, and um, you know, it's uh, – it was really a great idea because I was so worried about um, trying to sort of step into the footsteps of these people that had written about it very well in the mm-hmm. past. Um, but I think coming up with a slightly different angle on it was uh, – well, a very different angle was, was, was really pretty great, a pretty great way to handle it. And then, you know, we had all the riches from the Disney Archive, but we hit up 70 other collections wow. to pull material from. Um, and I also didn't want to hear from these Disney nerds, who I love, but I didn't want to hear from them saying, I've seen that picture a hundred times. Right. And and right. so, I mean, uh, there was a one group of pictures. I was so – every time I found something I knew nobody had ever seen before, I gave myself a little pat on the back. Well-deserved. Um, there, well <laughs> there, there was a shoot for Look magazine that ran two pictures maybe in the book. It was kind of shocking, and I thought – you know what, Look did not send this guy out to Disneyland to shoot two pictures. I'll bet he's got more. And the guy had died years ago, but the widow was still around. And the son said, oh, yeah, my mom's got a box of negatives under the bed. I'll, I'll, I'll ship it to you. You know, and so. Um, <laughs> what a treasure. Yeah. So, like, that was pretty awesome to be able to see things like that that had been under the photographer's bed for 50 years. Right. Um, and then, uh, you know, tons of unusual – you know, I asked Disney for one thing, and they said, you know, we don't have that, but here's 10 more things that are just like it that nobody's ever seen before. Right. So, I mean, it was pretty amazing well, to be able to do that. Well, it is amazing. I mean, the imagery is one thing. I, w- I was struck by – you have a lot of – Two-page layouts, yeah, double of trucks, very large, yeah, format pictures, and it's just like the monorail going over the submarine. Mm, I love that one. Just, just beautiful, and you know the art of Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. Ivan Earl. Well, I mean, the thing about the submarine picture that I really loved was that it shows how they're able to stack multiple things in the same space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being in preservation for so long, you know, that's 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 a great example, you know, of how you could have the submarine underground and then you have the monorail and then you have the skyway buckets, you right. know, all in the same space, you know? And and I just and Disney has done a, you know, we've lost some great things at Disneyland, but they've done an incredible job of of retaining uh, historic artifacts, you know, and right. and and they they do replace things all the time, but with identical replicas of them. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got to go under um, parts of the Caribbean. I had to do some. I did an event there, and I got to go sort of in this backstage area, and the, all the floors are kind of you know at an angle, and things move around. And it's all because <laughs> it all wraps one wraps into the other, into the other, and it's absolutely fascinating how it's so beautifully integrated, all these buildings that are, you know, stacked and layered. And, right. and it's something you don't, you know, appreciate on the street when you're there. You know, yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. You got to see actually how how it's made from behind the scenes so that it appears that way. Yeah, and to it's us genius just stuff. Floating through yeah, the Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean or... Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really talented at that. The, there's one picture of Space Mountain at night, I think the year it opened mm-hmm. in the book, which is just... 
it's just stunning. I mean, it's truly art. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we did go to a lot of art photographers to, to, to pull stuff because, I mean, you know, no matter who you are or what level you're at, it's a great place to shoot some, you know, whatever right. you're trying to capture. And it kind of, the book kind of slows down when Walt dies, even though that is like a major period of expansion for the park. And so much of our favorite stuff comes from that period. Uh, New Tomorrowland and Pirates and Haunted Mansion. already and, planned before yeah, he died? Yeah, so. oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That yeah. guy worked so far in advance. Right. Um but, you know, once all of the stuff that Walt had dreamed up was finished, uh, you know, it was kind of a slow period. You know, of course, Space Mountain is a big hit of the 70s. But, you know, I mean, it wasn't like the sort of like hit after hit after hit kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so um, it's mostly, you know, I think that the I think we even one of the chapters ends when Walt dies and um then we kind of cram in a few decades in a much shorter space. Right. Well, but, you know, it's all in there. I mean, and even like the expansion out to Florida. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I loved how, um, was it the World's Fair in New York? That was such a big deal for them. so many of these rides and ideas that he had. For sure. It was a great way to, to test concepts, you right. know. That he could have the state of Illinois pay him to develop a robot Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. you know, um, and <laughs> and uh, right. you know so much of um, so much of the technology um, comes from comes from the fair, you know, and and um, and Bob Gurr, the car guy, did Lincoln, and he said, you know, it was absolutely impossible to stuff all of that in this tall, skinny figure. He said, why couldn't it have been Grover Cleveland? <laughs> 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 he um he's very proud of inventing that robot. Right. One of the things that you know I didn't really know about Walt Disney, but you so lovingly um, put in the early part of the book is how influenced he was by Griffith Park for mm-hmm. Disneyland, and you know that watching his daughters play on the merry-go-round or or the pony rides really were the beginning of his ideas of making this kind of environment where families could go and experience that that amount of fun together. Well, we tried, to, we tried to sort of set the place, you know, to see what what the L.A. that he, you know, he wasn't born here, but he moved here, you know, in his 20s. And, um, you know, what he had been surrounded by from Clifton's to the Tama Shanter to um, Beverly Park, the little amusement park on La Cienega. Um, to Griffith Park and the Carousel. And, you know, they have one of those benches on display at, at Disneyland. I mean, the part Disneyland from the, from the Carousel at Griffith Park, um, which is still going strong and you should visit <laughs> every time you get a chance. Definitely. I will. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you how often you're at Disneyland. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm very lucky to be invited and I go, I go every time I'm invited. <laughs> um, I just covered the uh, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, the new attraction. Uh, in Toontown that uh, that opened, and then the new Toontown is opening in uh, uh, very soon in March. Right now, a lot of Toontown was taken over for Star Wars Land. Well, again, they is do that... this remarkable job of integrating stuff. Mm-hmm. They didn't really lose any Toontown for Star Wars. They um, they incorporate they they it's like precision surgery the way they do it. Um, they lost the uh, barbecue restaurant was and and uh, for uh, Star Wars and. They lost a third of the Rivers of America, which normally you'd think I'd be worked up about, but they, uh, being in preservation, 
but they um, did such a wonderful job of enhancing what was left, mm-hmm. you know, of adding things, of bringing in, you know, <laughs> the other thing they do is these big, mature, beautiful trees. Yes. You know, yeah. like instant like, forest. Exactly. You know, and that's it's always been there. Nobody wants to pay for that. <laughs> Nobody else wants to do that. It's expensive. And and um, so they just did a beautiful job of, of making, you know, even something from that doesn't exist anywhere in the universe, uh, the planet Batu, looks like it's always been there. Yes. You know, which is incredible. Yeah. Just, just incredible. Yeah. And yeah, I really, I have to say as a kid, the Tomorrowland parts, the the house of the future, mm. if I'm saying that. Carousel of Progress. No. What, what is the... Both long gone. Yeah. Except and I'm going to go see the carousel in Florida. Are you? I'm looking forward to it. Is it summer. part of Disney World? Yeah, yeah. They have the Carousel of Progress from the New York World's Fair that went to Disneyland and then left in, what, 1974 maybe? I should remember this. But, um, yeah, it's been gone from for, you know, almost 50 years. Um, and... Yeah, the the house of the future, the little stump was around until fairly recently, the foundation <laughs> of it. Yeah. Um, and I would always take people over there and, you know, rub it for good luck. Right. Um, but you know what? I haven't been yet, but the Howard Johnson's hotel across the street mm-hmm. has built a house of the future suite that you oh, can stay in. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I am so glad you told me that. So people still have a great fondness for it and yeah. love it, even though it's been gone for so long. Well, and it was so dynamic because the action was really in the center, but the audience moved. Oh, the carousel, if, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I remember it as America Sings, oh. um, which it was uh, for through the 70s, 80s, 90s. And it's been, I don't know what it's been for the last 20-something years. It's, it's so sad to see 1967 Tomorrowland um, in its sort of... <sighs> decrepit state. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not decrepit because it looks great. It's all shiny and perfect and wonderful. Right. But I mean, having that big amount of real estate sit empty for all these years is just weird. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope that, uh, I, you know, if I say anything that sounds like they should reinvigorate Tomorrowland, I'm signing the death warrant for the architecture. Because I don't want I don't want the Mission to Mars building to go away. Exactly. You know, I mean, I don't want those those architectural landmarks to go away. But I, you know, there's much better programming that could be happening in right. Tomorrowland, and I think that's a pretty universal thought. Even I'm sure Disney has has uh, plans for that. And and you know, there's this talk of this uh, Avatar attraction. I hope it doesn't displace anything historic. You right, know, I'm looking right. at I'm looking at you, Autopia. I'm looking at you, Submarine Voyage. <laughs> exactly. Don't I, go anywhere. I hope you're doing. I hope you've got good health insurance, life insurance. You're right. not going anywhere. Right. Um, but they did manage to repurpose like the the ride where it's Buzz Lightyear. Yeah. And yeah. They the, did repurpose uh, that. The Sorkarama building mm-hmm. is now the Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster, where you shoot at stuff with a ray gun. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a thing. Which and then is uh, let's see, Star Tours. Star it's Tours, yeah, still was, was you know, Star Tours, of course, being the Monsanto Adventure Through Inner Space Building, which was spectacular from a design point of view. Right, because um, as you were the, walking around, you were seeing small people. Uh, yes, yeah, like the, yes, little people that had gone, the people that had gone through the ride just before you, in their in their 1967 turtlenecks <laughs> that were still there until the 80s. 
<laughs> and, and like the submarine, too, that was closed for so long and then reopened mm-hmm. as a Finding Nemo vehicle. Yeah, and that's fine. That's fine. I mean, the idea that people can't stand the concept that they might learn something, you know, there or that they might have a World's Fair-like um, connection to something, you know, if it's if it remotely smells of education, you know, that people will run away from it. But, I mean, the idea with the submarine voyage is that you're learning what it's like to go into the polar ice caps and you're experiencing it like the, uh, you know, explore, you know, exploration is one of the key tenets of, of Disneyland. Look at Frontierland. I mean, and I think that the idea of exploration is different now than it was in, in the 50s, of course. But, um, you know, I still like I still like the, the strange new worlds idea. Right. Finding something you didn't know existed. <laughs> and Walt was really into, you know, talking about the history of of the country, even though the perspective was definitely coming from how he's experiencing it. So right. times change. And as we all have seen on the news, there was the undoing of the Song of the South ride. But like that, they're really they're really cracking down on that. Like right. even, even the song. Yeah. Right. No song. No, yeah. the, song, no the song goes away. No song. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, Frontierland has had all kinds of issues. There's things that just sort of disappear. You know, the burning settler's cabin, for example, uh-huh. is no, is, it no longer burns. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of politics you could talk about, that, right. that things that have happened there, thing, the way things look or the way things, the perspective of things right. uh, that changes. But, you know, America has changed. America has changed. Yeah. That's true. And if Disney can, you know, kind of change with it or at least recognize where, you know, something might need to to be reinterpreted or retold. So, Well, I mean, in his opening day speech, he uses the phrase hard facts, the hard facts that have created America, you know, and, 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 and probably in thinking about, you know, cowboy and Indian stories, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure that was probably up there at the at the top of his mind. Um and, you know, and Adventureland came from the real-life Adventureland movies, you know, and, and, and really going, you know, and sending somebody to a place that uh, the viewer had never been before, you know. And, again, adventure, exploring, you know, right. finding new things was Definitely. such a key part of what they were trying to accomplish there. Right. And, you know, it might sound weird, but really one of my favorite parts of Disneyland is Main Street. Mm-hmm. And I know that from Walt Disney being from Missouri, he wanted to capture the kind of childhood or mm-hmm. environment that he was growing up around. And, and his contemporaries. You know, if you were going to the park and you were his age, that would all seem very normal to you, you know. Um, and I think that there was also a bunch of, like, uh, gay 90s nostalgia mm-hmm. stuff starting, like, even in the 1940s. Is you know? that like the Golden Horseshoe Review? Yeah, Would that have well, been part of little, that? It's a little earlier than that, mm-hmm. probably. But I think that, um, you know, we write in the book that that was sort of the last stable period, you know, before the two world wars, um, the like 1900, 1910 kind of time. And, you know, it's like as far from them as like what the 1950s are from us today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's. Uh, I feel like if you did a 1950s land, that most people would get it, would understand what that is, that it's so it's in the culture enough that you would get the references even if you were right. a kid. 
Um, because we've had endless cycles of nostalgia programming that have gone on since it was new. You know, I mean, American Graffiti takes place 10 years after the, the, the story. You know, it's 1972 right. talking about 1962. It's like the, it's like the uh, you know, the snake chasing its tail. Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it's a small window, you know. Of, right. Okay, well, maybe this is a good time to turn to what you're doing now, which, yeah. you know, you have worked at Los Angeles Magazine for quite a while. Is mm-hmm. it 22 years? 22 years. Wow. Well, congratulations yeah. on that. You. And was the Ask Chris column from the beginning, or is that something that was born out of your other writing? No, um, it came from them kind of asking around the office, you know, ask Chris, ask Chris. Um, <laughs> when there was anything historical or oddball or fringe, you know, or something right. that was happening. I typically get that, um, you know, get that call or get that um, assignment. Um, you know, I've done many, many stories for the magazine, and 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 often they have some sort of historical angle, you know, mm-hmm. or some sort of um, unusual corner of the city that I get to explore. And I'm real grateful that I have been able to do all these strange things, you know, to shimmy on the freeway to try to read a, a historical plaque, you know, or <laughs> um, just to go out and, and, and physically try to find find things. I took a, um, you know, measuring tool to the steepest street in L.A., and I've been gone out to meet with experts everywhere, and, and I just love it. And, I mean, the letters are all real. They all really right. come from people, from readers. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, I've done so many of them. It's uh, a friend of mine just texted me yesterday. I'm in Hawaii trying to figure out why the palm trees are bending, and I googled uh, it, and your story came up. That's right. <laughs> why do the bent the palm trees bend? Yeah. I I read that one in the research I was doing on you and the column. The Ask Chris archive is up to 144 pages now. Oh, good. I was trying to, you know, kind of get a composite of of what it has been over the years, but I would go down these rabbit holes, and it was just. You know, I mean, it is a fun way to spend an afternoon to kind of. Well, I think it could also lead you to your own research. You know, Mm -hmm. if you find something that I've written about that you think is interesting and deserves more than, you know, just a quick glance. I mean, go out and, you know, go go there. Well, like <laughs> what you do. I mean, it's great to know that you, you know, so authentically go and get this information firsthand so you can report back. Oh, yeah. The the uh, research editor uh, gets a nice, you know, a real nice, robust 40 or 50 pages for everything <laughs> oh, I do. Um, poor guy. Uh, wow. But yeah, because it's really you, kind Eric. of whittled down to a paragraph, your yeah. answer. Yeah, I mean, I do so much research, and it and it, I cut and cut. Somebody once told me that they thought my column was like haiku. Right. You know? it, I mean, it really, it's really been challenging to, to uh, <laughs> try to boil things down to their essence, but... Right. And to try to also keep a little bit of levity in it and a little, you know, I try to have a little zinger in there once in a while. That is definitely <laughs> true. I love your wit in yeah, these, especially thanks. you were answering someone who was asking about um, about drilling for oil on their property. Mm-hmm. And your response was was pretty funny. I'm uh, trying to. I think I, I I think we had a picture of a barbecue that we did with that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we also had a. We've also done a lot of funny ways of illustrating it. Um, we did a cartoon for a long time. Yes, um, I <laughs> would see the cartoon. Those were pretty funny. Yeah, but um, well, what stands out to you is kind of the weirdest question you've been asked, or you know, the most like out there oh, query. Geez. 
I mean, you know, um, <laughs> I I think that uh, there there's a ton of them that I'm still working on. Wow. That I just can't figure out. So you're you receive <laughs> these letters, but they might not be chronological. It, oh, is what you're yeah, saying. right. And and it and it literally can take years for things. You know, I'll have I have stuff in the back burner that's been cooking for forever, and. Um, I'll get a lead. I'll fall track something down. I'll try to get to it. And I, you know, I won't get there. Um, but you know, I also used to do a thing where I would, um, I would ask people their favorite places. Mm-hmm. So I would ask kind of well-known people about places they like in the city, and it would, we we turn that into a thing. Uh, I think we're calling it my favorite things now. But that was so fun. I loved doing that, and I got to and I got to. Uh, be friends of a lot of really colorful characters from doing that too, which I really enjoy. I can imagine. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's good. I mean, it's really, you know, Los Angeles is so vast and so varied and it's really the best way to get to know it is to ask other people what their favorite oh parts of it this, are. I do this every day and there's still un, unexplored worlds. Mm-hmm. There's so much I don't know, obviously, you know, and I just. Well, that's hard I, to believe. Well, I mean, <laughs> and I've been, I do it all day, every day. And there's, you know, it's just what, you know, I tell people you can drive for an hour, two hours in any direction. It just never ends. Right. It's sometimes like the background in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon where it just keeps repeating and repeating, <laughs> um, you know, with all the right. lousy malls and mini malls we have. But but I mean, it's just that it it never ends. And there's so many stories and so many people and we lose so much. You know, I've been involved in historic preservation since 1988. Wow. And I've been to countless building funerals, you know, and I've seen so many uh, places close. I've been to the last call at, you know, 100 places. Wow. And, and it, it never gets any easier. And, I mean, sometimes I, I, I um, you know, you develop relationships with people at, at these places. Like, I love restaurants and bars and nightclubs and, and hotels and public places. I want to talk about a place that anybody can go to and not just a fancy mansion that somebody invited me to once. You know, I, I mean, I, Alan Hess has a great line in Googie about how, um, you know, you get all this for the price of a cup of coffee, you know, right. and that you can go in there and uh, it's open to anybody. And that's, that's what I love so much about these places. They're like community centers, you right. know, the, the bowling alleys and the coffee shops and, and, and these places. And you get to know the people that go there and the people that work there and the people that own them. And um, it's just such a big part of my life. Mm. And I, I want to encourage everybody to support these places. You know, you like you like it, go there. Um, I started having a bowling night. Right. So I go around and, su- and support bowling centers that I like. Bring, that is bring great. People there. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's really great because bowling alleys just, I don't know, they're inherently – Atomic Age. Well, yeah. Yes. I mean, that's 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 a project I'm working on now as I'm Ooh. working on a book about mid-century bowling architecture. Nice. And oh, well, that's a good one. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, yeah. because we just spent years uh, trying to save the Covina Bowl, mm-hmm. which was a great 1956, you know, <laughs> Egyptian googie-themed bowling <laughs> center, um, which was so great and so out there. And um, it's, you know, it's surrounded by condos now. But it's still there, and they restored it, and it looks beautiful. Right. And so um, they're looking for a tenant. If anybody wants to open a coffee shop in an Egyptian, you know. Themed bowling alley? Yeah. Then, yeah. In Covina. Wow. Well, that has to, 
that has to feel so gratifying. Oh, it's so exciting to see it. Save. And and to go there and see it look like it does in the old pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, to see it all fresh and new and young again. Right. You know, with all the like young landscaping and baby plants and freshly scrubbed and painted in the correct colors and everything works, all the neons on it and it's great. Oh, it's just and it's great. Yeah. Are you doing this preservation work still um you know with LA Conservancy? Or? I mean, I, I work with the Conservancy on projects all the time, but I was on the board of Hollywood Heritage. And I mean, my God, there's 88 cities in LA County and there's preservation issues in all of them. So, you know, I, I help wherever I can. And there's a group of us that are obsessive about it and are constantly pitching in, you know, right. um, offering advice, writing letters, you know, sending people down to help. But it's never ending, you know. Right. It's, I mean, it. You know your efforts. Are... Well, we're just we're just so lucky that we had so much to begin with. That's true. We've lost a ton of amazing stuff. Absolutely. But we had so. I mean, when I travel and I look around for like, where's the googie? Where's where's the where's the you know where where's the exciting? Where, none of these roof lines are jutting. Where am I? Right. You know. Right. I need to, I need some <laughs> I need some. Uh, Transparent, hovering, floating starbursts somewhere. And that was such an optimistic hope for the future, I feel, when I see, um, you know, coffee shops that are look like spaceships or just, yeah. you know, glass jutting out. Right. And, um, yeah, it seems that a lot of designers would not want to go there. They're well, just the funny like, thing is, I, I mean, I mentioned that I got to work with a lot of these people um, that design these places. My first job was with... Um, a documentary about the architect John Lautner, mm-hmm. um, who designed the original Googies, um, and and I did, I've done many projects with Armand Davis, Armand Davis Newlove, mm-hmm. who did um, you know norms and pans and um, nice. incredible stuff. Um, my all, you know God bless Wayne McAllister, but Armand Davis, Jesus, wow, they really yeah. they design they created a whole new world, and you know one of their buildings now is being restored. Um, it was a place called Stanley Burke's. It's going to be a chain restaurant in the future, but it's going to look great in Van Nuys here Mm -hmm. in LA. So, you know, I mean, whenever I can kind of shine a light on stuff, I do. Right. That's, it's so good. I mean, we have to respect what came before and also, you know, make space for it, even in this time of, you know, needing development, needing housing that, you know, we still well, have to have buildings that help us dream and – Well, like Disney is so good, like I said, at, at carving out spaces for things, right. you know. And I think that, uh, you know, the Covina Bowl is now, uh, you know, many, many, many condominiums and the Covina Bowl, you know, architecturally right. speaking at least, right. um, is there. And mm-hmm. they, you know, they didn't lose money on that project. It wasn't a charity thing. They did it as a developer to, to sell condos. And, exactly. and were they resistant to – Well, everybody that looked at it was resistant until these people came around and saw that they could have their cake and eat it too, right. which is great. Um, but, you know, and it was – we landmarked it at the state level and it um, – that's that's what goes a long way. If you landmark something, you have a, you have a seat at the table sometimes. Right. You know, right. instead of just knocking on the door, you can like actually help make decisions with the city and, and have some kind of – some kind of tool, you know, to work with, um, because otherwise you're just, you know, shouting into the darkness. Right. You know. Well, and landmark status, I mean, is it always a protection? I'm thinking of the Millard Sheets uh, mosaics that were in Santa Monica mm-hmm. on 
I think at least one bank. Well, that 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 particular one, I mean, that was landmarked, and then it was not landmarked, mm-hmm. uh, which is very rare that that happens. Okay, well, I'm but, glad. But in no, that no. case, it got it got removed by an art conservator, and it's in a museum now in Orange County. Okay, great. So, I mean, that was a you know, and 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 salvage and facade treatments, you know, facadectomies are not really <laughs> the um, ideal approach, you know, um, but. I think that, you know, I think they're better than losing it. Yes, that's true. And especially if it's in a museum, at least it is available to be seen Mm -hmm. by the public, just not in its original context. Right. And again, like I said about the cup of coffee, I mean, anybody could see that Millie Cheats mural. You know, it was on that corner for 50 years, 60 years, and then then it wasn't. But – you know, and the museums are wonderful and great, and I'm I'm very I'm very happy for them. It's just that you know it, you're not gonna be surprised to see art in a museum. You're gonna be surprised to see art at at the bank. Right. You know. Well, yeah, I remember sitting at that red light countless times and looking at that mosaic mm-hmm. and just thinking, wow, what an amazing resource to, you know, just be able to take it in while you're waiting for the light to turn. Yeah. And see, you see that, you see that as a child, you know, and that could affect the way that you look at the world, you know, that you, that you can see art and everything as mundane as that had been a shoe shop most recently. You know? Oh, right. A new balance. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're looking at the shoe store and, you know, and there's this amazing mural in, uh, in, 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 in gold yes. mosaic. You know, and and it's just such a it's such a far out thing to imagine that 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 there was a time when people thought that it was worthwhile to spend money to create something beautiful for people to enjoy when they were patronizing their business. And that seems like such a far out concept today. You know, unless you go to the most high end of extreme resort hotels or, you know, really, really, really deluxe restaurants. You're not going to see custom artwork. No. Although I think for a lot of large developments, isn't there a public art um, component that's written into, um, into Sometimes for stuff that's, that's, that's big enough that gets money from certain sources, they do the 1% for art. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, oftentimes those are things like office parks and stuff that you don't necessarily – you're not going to happen. You're not going to happen to run into it. Right. You it's know? like you have to be there. Yeah. To... Whereas at a, a at our main Davis coffee shop or a, a home savings bank or any of these places that actually put money into making art for the patrons, mm-hmm. um, you know, unexpected. And I think that's a great way to encounter art. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you, 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 don't, you don't know what's coming for you. And that was, you know, one of the most brilliant things to come out of the Depression was the – arts program, the WPA. Mm-hmm. And um, just recently I was in Ventura looking at the beautiful murals that are in the the post office on Main Street there. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. such a jewel, such an unexpected, yeah. great, great thing. And they're murals that tell the story of that city. So... You know, the I love it when there's and, a post office or you know, or some unexpected place like that, and it right. just, well, you know, you're not expecting the art, and then bam, there it is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just a feast, and you're moved. Right, exactly. And changed. Right, exactly. Um, well, before we get into wrapping this up, I wanted to go back a little bit because when we were talking about Wayne McAllister, we didn't mention the Biltmore, and mm-hmm. so I. Absolutely love the Biltmore Hotel. I think it is just 
such an amazing building there in downtown Los Angeles. And we did an episode on the Biltmore on this show. But now understanding more about Wayne McAllister and how you talked about him with the Agua Caliente group of people, it seems like they all kind of in mass went up to the Biltmore and created those spaces. Well, Wayne was really lucky in that as a teenager designing this gazillion dollar resort, he had a guy that really believed in him, this guy Baron Long, mm-hmm. who had been, um, you know, he had been in LA and he had done some some stuff with uh, restaurants and nightclubs here and he had some movie star connections and he was a real colorful guy. And, and Baron Long really believed in Wayne and Corinne and put him in his car and drove him up to LA. They had been in San Diego but Baron Long thought they should be here and that they should do beautiful things for his hotels here and his projects he was going to build in L.A. And he had them do the um, the big nightclub at the Biltmore that was called the Biltmore Bowl. And um, he had them do another nightclub called the Rendezvous Room, which was a nightclub in the afternoon. <laughs> and um, and so, I mean, you know, I said, I said to him, so were you doing kind of modernist stuff? He said, no, we just worked with what was there. It was already beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so he um, worked in that sort of uh, Italian style of what was already at the hotel and expanded it. But, of course, you know, once you went modern, you, it's hard to go back. And I think that he discovered modern through Art Deco, through, um, you know, Anthony Heinsberg and the muralist yes. who had gone to the – Expo in Paris, where Art Deco came from, in 1928. So he learned about Art Deco from Heinzbergen, and Heinzbergen learned about Art Deco from the Arts de Decoratif Expo. You know where where it came from. So I mean, Wayne worked, you know, consciously or subconsciously worked in Art Deco angles to things that built more, mm-hmm. and some of his projects in that period. And it's a funny thing how there are things that are so profound in in the history of whatever subject you're looking into, but in design, that's that big Art Deco expo that changed everybody's way of looking at at design, looking at the world. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, everybody went modern after they saw that, you know? (laughs) Right, wow. And it was suddenly not okay to be historical, you know, Baroque anymore. Yeah, forget about that. Yeah. But it's, we're so fortunate to have that in Los Angeles and that a lot of, is it Heinsberg? Anthony Heinsbergen. Heinsbergen. Yeah, he's a great muralist. A lot of his art is still Mm -hmm. there at Mm -hmm. the Biltmore and just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I mean, gosh, he did so many interiors and painted ceilings and uh, he did a big mural at one of the Broadway theaters downtown. but yeah, man, he, extraordinarily talented guy, and he built this crazy brick studio on Beverly Boulevard. Um, I understand the bricks from the old LA City Hall, <laughs> so um, and it's still there, the Heinzbergen Studio. It's a monu- it's a historic cultural monument. Um, but then his uh, his uh, studio stayed in business, and the sun carried on just like Melody Sheets, mm-hmm. you know, where the sun carries it on. And um, and Wayne went back to him again and again and again, and had him do. He called him my decorator. You know? Right. So, I mean, he, right. he did all kinds of projects with him. And even – um, Great collaboration. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, into the 40s and 50s, stuff that was more modern and, yeah, just uh, – I love it. I love it when two, two artists come together to create something new that right. didn't exist before, you know. Exactly. Very beautiful. Yeah. Well, gosh, Chris, it's just been such a fascinating conversation with mm-hmm. you. I feel like this Thank could you. go on for a couple of days. I, I at, do. At I do. Least. I mean, love talking about it. Your books are just captivating, and I'd encourage anyone 
listening to to check them out, even the one that's difficult to <laughs> to find about Rolly yeah. Crump. Well, the Rolly Crump, the yeah. Rolly Crump one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, there's just so much more information that you've called together and put into these books and given us a picture of Wayne McAllister, Disneyland, that we would not know without all your effort, all your academic historian effort. Thank you. So, I mean, just the moral of the story is uh, talk to the old timers that are still around and get their stories. Right. (laughs) And I wanted to ask if you have anything coming up that you'd like to talk about. Well, I mean, you know, there's preservation issues all day, every day that I'm working on. But um, but that bowling book is really like at the front of my mind right now. As I'm, and I'm trying when, to when will that be make available? That happen. It's supposed to be in the spring um, okay. next year. So, um, man, and, and, you know, you think like I, I, I was totally uh, buttonholing this original architect, 90 plus year old guy that did the Covina Bowl. I was in his house and I said, what did you keep? Do you have anything from your projects? You know, and he said, "Well, I got this one magazine." No, no. Did you did you did you photograph anything? He said, no, we didn't have to photograph it. We just would we would just drive people there and show it to them. Oh. <laughs> you know, and now that almost all of their work, you know, is gone, you can't do that. And like, wow. so, that was surprising that somebody could create all this beautiful stuff and not document it exactly. anyway. Exactly. So now I'm doing the same with McAllister, where I'm going trying to go back and fill in all the gaps and 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 find uh, material on this subject, and it is incredibly hard. And I've been a picture researcher for a really long time. Yeah. So if it's difficult for you, that means it must be really near impossible. <laughs> it's so hard. I'm really looking forward to that book. I yeah, know, I've got some great stuff. Yeah, it's going to be an education for sure. But also, I just love the idea of taking that trip back in time. Well, and, and, try, and, and I want to elevate the material and make you see it as as art and architecture mm-hmm. and not as a stinky old rundown bowling joint, but as it looked in its, you know, prime. Yeah, exactly. It has significance and, yeah, and not just in its time, but it can be there for all of us to enjoy now. Yeah, I, I mean, when I was growing up, they were, all the googie stuff was rundown and it was heading like for the drain fast. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when I see it new in these pictures and like especially in some of these 3D pictures by uh, Jack Laxer, who I worked with for many years, uh, he, in the googie stuff, the the bowling centers, for example, had beautiful restaurants and like steakhouse restaurants and showrooms and theaters and just, and they were just pristine, sparkling, beautiful, you know, modernist creations that fell into disrepair. Right. And that's how we all remember them. You know, it was on their worst worst days. And it's, yeah, it is really too bad because obviously it was a beacon of recreation Mm -hmm. for, you know, the community at the time. For sure, yes, definitely. But they will be remembered because of your efforts, and I'm I'm very grateful. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I'm I'm excited to put it out. Yeah. And I do want to say... uh, Big thank you to Big Surprise Music, which is the recording studio that we are in today. Thank you so much, Carmen. And perhaps when your new book is out, we'll have an opportunity to get together again and and talk about what's new going on in the world of Chris Nichols. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate all the time you've given us today, Chris. Thanks so much. And for JasonCharles.net and Los Angeles, this is Laura Craven. You've been listening to part two of my two-part conversation with author, architectural historian, and Los Angeles Magazine senior editor, Chris Nichols. Don't forget to subscribe to Los Angeles wherever you get your podcasts or live and direct on JasonCharles.net, Podcast Network, 
Arts and Culture channel. This is Laura Craven. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Lost Angeles with Laura Craven on jasoncharles.net. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. Oh, wow. That's deep.